I'm going to return to our flannel graph discussion of the summer. And uh, we said that flannel graph was the preferred medium of, of the ancient uh, Sunday school world uh, to, to teach. I, you know what? I, I had flannel graph when I was growing up. So um, uh, to teach basic Bible stories. And this summer we're going to talk about basic Bible characters. And this morning we are going to set our sights on Jeremiah. He was a prophet. Now a prophet was a person who was called by God to speak truth on God's behalf. And usually in the Old Testament, the prophets spent most of their life calling people back to the path of God, to worshiping God, to holiness. Uh, Prophets spent their life uh, speaking on behalf of God. And, and I, I really, I, I, I really want to challenge you to focus on, on Jeremiah today. I mean, normally you can just, you know, play Angry Birds or whatever it is you do. But this morning is close to my heart, and I know a lot of your stories, and, and I know the struggles that, that we walk through in life, and and, and, and Jeremiah is one of, those, one of those guys that, I don't know what to do with Jeremiah. I don't like that his story's in the Bible, but it fits. Because there's a lot of life that I don't like, but it is what it is. And so with Jeremiah's story, what we get is this contrast between the American dream and God's calling. And, and we would love to believe that that God, in his involvement in our life and our obedience to him, would end us up somewhere in the vicinity of the American dream. But that doesn't always happen. And Jeremiah's story helps us understand that that may never happen. You may be right in the center of God's will for your life and never find the things that the consumer world says that you should have uh, but God's faithfulness or our faithfulness to God is really what's most important in life. Uh, God may have a calling for your life and, and on your last day you never achieve success in the eyes of the world but what you've achieved with your life is something far more important faithfulness in the midst of adversity. And your reward then is a well done from your creator instead of a well done from your friends and neighbors and peers. Uh, so let's go ahead and look at Jeremiah. And, and I, I, I think there is, there's a lot that we can apply to our everyday life through Jeremiah. So I'm going to start uh, Jeremiah chapter 1. would love for you guys to follow along with me. If you have a... Bible app on your smartphone or grab one of the green Bibles. Incidentally, if, you're, if you don't have a Bible or if you um, don't have one that you can easily read, this is a translation that's very readable, modern contemporary English, feel free to take this with you. Um, even if you never come back to Polaris, feel free to take a Bible. So let's look at Jeremiah's call, a moment when God spoke to Jeremiah and and gave him his marching orders, so to speak. And this is in many ways the anatomy 
of God's calling. Because we, we all, I think, would love to know what God desires from us. And, and, and we maybe romanticize about God coming to us in a dream and laying it out for us. Uh, this is what it often looked like in Scripture when, when he would do such a thing. Verse 4, chapter 1. Incidentally, it's on page 522 of the Green Bible. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now, that's kind of good news for Jeremiah, right? I mean, he gets his calling to have God say to you, I knew you before you were born. And I had a very special purpose for you. That would get most of us excited, right? I mean, that's that, wow, this is the God going to, he set me aside. I'm the chosen one. But look at what it means. I appointed you prophet to the nations. And in verse 6, Jeremiah says, Alas, sovereign Lord. I do not know how to speak. I am too young. So we find out that God has called an adolescent to be his prophet to the nations. And, and Jeremiah's first response to this call from God is, uh-oh, I can't, I can't do that. It doesn't fit. Now, there's some incredible things that, that we learn here in that while there's this call from God, the first response of the individual is, I can't do that. And this is consistent in Scripture. God calls people in their first response is, I, I can't do that. Because when God calls you, He rarely calls you to do things that you think you can do. Because there's no God in that. And oftentimes your first response, if you're really in the middle of God's will... I'm in over my head. I can't do this. And, and I love the story because it would make more sense, wouldn't it, uh, for a prophet, someone to turn the nations away from their practice and toward God. Maybe he would choose somebody with some affluence or some influence. A, a skilled speaker, a charismatic, uh, established politician or something. Instead, he calls the boy. And it makes no earthly sense to anybody, including Jeremiah. And God goes on and says, Oh, don't say, I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them. For I am with you, and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. Do not be afraid. Uh, almost every time God speaks with human beings in Scripture, especially if he gives them a task, it requires uh, the encouragement from God of do not be afraid because the initial reaction is never good. 
And when we seek God's call for our life, we need to be thinking about something that we ourselves can accomplish. And if you've never been at a place where you're doing something that you feel woefully out of your league, then you've probably never fully joined with God to accomplish uh, what He has for you to accomplish with your life. And I also think we need to learn from Jeremiah's knee-jerk of, of thinking in terms of limitations. When God calls us, God doesn't see limitations, but we do. And so as you begin to look at your life, what you could accomplish for God, I think deep down we would all love to believe that somehow God could use us for something big. And the reality is that no matter who you are, God absolutely can use you for something much larger than anything you think you can accomplish. Uh, but your first reaction will probably be to begin to think of the limitations. For Jeremiah, it was his age and his speaking ability. Maybe for some of you, it's how much you know about the Bible. Or how quickly you can think on your feet to answer questions. Maybe some of you feel limited by that. Uh, I bet a lot of you feel limited by your past. You know who you were. You know the things that you've done. You know the things that other people have said about you. And so you think about accomplishing some things in your life, but you would be quick to look at your past. And what we see from this passage right away is that God doesn't look to our limitations. There are no limitations for God, especially our past. Like, if your sins of yesterday are limiting you in any way, get over it. You have to forgive yourself to step into what God has called you to do because God isn't holding any of that over your head. It doesn't matter what humans might be or if you are, God's not holding any of that over your head. Uh, you guys see the movie The Lord of the Rings? Um... One of the more compelling parts of The Lord of the Rings, classic literature, pretty good movie, it was kind of long. I remember I went to see the first one, I didn't realize it was a trilogy and it just faded to black. It's like, I just spent two hours and 45 minutes and there's no closure. Anyway, um, that ring needs to get destroyed for the sake of the world. And the one chosen to... Uh, accomplish that feat is the little hobbit like everybody else in the movie you'd rather have in charge but it's the hobbit and there's something gripping about that and that's Jeremiah's story and that's the story of scripture for us God chooses weak and broken people like us to do incredible things for him. Now look at the, 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 the closing of the calling here, verse 18. God says, Today I've made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but you will not, they will not overcome you. For I am with you and will rescue you, declared. Now that sounds good until you really think about what God is saying. 
I will make you an iron pillar, a fortified city. Uh, what he's really saying is, you are going to be able to take a savage beating, Jeremiah. And I don't think anybody wants that in their calling. Like if you're in line to get callings, uh, and the person, a couple people ahead of you, you know, you're going to be a world-class musician. And I'm going to give you long fingers and great hand-eye coordination and a sense of rhythm. And then it goes to the next person ahead of you. You're going to be an entrepreneur. And I'm going to give you wide hips to hold up your pants because your wallet's going to be so heavy from the money you make. And you're excited and it's your turn. It's, I'm making you a prophet to speak on my behalf. And you are going to be able to take a savage beating. We want the American dream. We want the success in the eyes of the world. But sometimes God says, it's going to be tough. But you're going to be faithful to me. I had a mentor in my life uh, a few years ago. And, and, and he looked me in the eye across the, from the table uh, at Panera down in Canton. I'll never forget it. And he said, it sounds to me like God is calling you to walk through some crap. And that's all he said, and unfortunately, I knew that he was right, and, and there are times where you can be right in the middle of God's will for your life, and things are pretty miserable. Because God isn't interested in you gaining affluence in the eyes of your friends and success in the eyes of America. God is interested in your faithfulness, and sometimes... God calls us to go to dark places to bring light. And that puts us in messy situations. Turn to Jeremiah 37, if you would. <clears throat> it's on page 553 of the Green Bible. Now, Jeremiah's life, and I'd love for you to read the book of Jeremiah. I, I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's miserable, but it's real. Um, and, and sometimes reading the miserable can be very beneficial when it matches the difficulties of our life. Jeremiah spent his life speaking on behalf of God, and, and he's just getting ridiculed. Uh, incident after incident, you're just waiting for something good to happen to this guy. It really never does. Verse 16, Jeremiah was put into a vaulted cell in a dungeon where he remained for a long time. 38 verse 6, so they took Jeremiah from the cell and put him into the well. They lowered Jeremiah by ropes into the cistern, the well. It had no water in it, only mud. And Jeremiah sank down into the mud. Now he was rescued a little bit later, but he didn't know that at the time. So I want you to think about this now. Jeremiah, who has been faithful all the way to everything that God has called him to do, is sinking and stuck in mud at the bottom of the well and for all he knows he's left for dead hungry exhausted cold uncomfortable 
hurting, abandoned, he's at the bottom of the well. Now, I got to believe there were some moments there at the bottom of that well where Jeremiah felt like a total failure and where God seemed a million miles away. And this is why Jeremiah's story is so important. You and I have our moments at the bottom of the well. Um, Maybe it's a medical diagnosis that just rips you apart. And you wonder, how could I have to walk through this? What have I done wrong? Where is God in this? Maybe it's a job loss. Maybe it's the loss of a family member. Maybe uh, financial ruin, a failed relationship. Um, Or something you really wanted to do that you just failed at. And you sit there alone and you feel like uh, because I'm here in this pain, I must have done something wrong or, or God must not be for me. Um, and God feels like he's a million miles away. But I want you to remember Jeremiah here, who's alone at the bottom of a well, left for dead, and he has done nothing wrong. He has been faithful all the way. Now, there's no sugar coat here in that, and they pulled him out of the well and threw him a feast and made him king. And that, it never, he gets pulled out of the well only for more strife and trial. <clears throat> you may never get the American dream that you want. But what matters most is your faithfulness to God. And one of the most dangerous things we can ever begin to do is to want fairness. Because those well moments, we are so tempted to cry out to God, it's not fair. My kids love that. You know, five and eight, it's not fair. We have this strong sense of fairness, but the God of the Bible is not a fair God. He's not, he's just, but he's not fair. And we're the beneficiaries of God's strange sense of fairness. And here's why. God never tells you you're going to get a fair shake. God never tells you you're going to get an equal chance with somebody at that thing. But what God does say is I am going to pay the price for your sin so that we are connected forever. And that's not fair. I'm going to turn real quick to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him, in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now let me explain that real quick. It's completely not fair. The Bible says that Jesus had never sinned, there was no sin in him, and God made him into sin on the cross. Like somehow God put all of my sin onto Jesus, and this innocent son of God was tortured and killed to pay my death penalty. Is that fair? It's not fair at all. 
those were my sins that the innocent man died for. And my forgiveness was not purchased by myself. I've done nothing to earn my good standing with God. It was provided for by an innocent man who paid the price. So the whole system isn't fair. But in the end, it's good that we're not going to get what we deserve. So when you're at the bottom of that well, don't let yourself go to the place of feeling cheated of anything. Because we don't deserve anything. God gave us more than we deserve when he paid the price for our sins. So that one day when this world of, 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 of muddy wells is over, we're rewarded with an eternity of paradise. Now, I love uh, God's encouragement of Jeremiah. He doesn't say, cheer up, things are going to get better. Instead, he inspires him. Look at, look at Jeremiah 5, or 12, 5. An incredible passage. I'll give Leslie a chance. I've skipped around a little bit today, so I'll give Leslie a chance if I can read it. If not, it's the last scripture slide, Leslie. That's 20. Jeremiah 12. It's got the horses on it. That'd been the easier way to say it. So, <laughs> look for the pictures. Um, <clears throat> God's, now Jeremiah is miserable, and there are some times in Jeremiah when he can pour his heart out to God. There's a time when Jeremiah looks at God and said, you lied to me. You're a liar, God, and I hate the day I was born. It's pretty real. And he's on this tirade, probably rightly so, and God responds with, if you've raced with men on foot and they've worn you out, how can you compete with the horses? It's kind of like God says, oh, you think that's rough? But I love what he says here because he's calling Jeremiah to something supernatural. Nobody can race with horses. So he cast this vision to Jeremiah. You are going to do the unthinkable with my power if you pick yourself back up. Don't let man and circumstance wear you out. Pick yourself back up. Keep going and you will run with the horses. That's the message of Scripture and that's the message of Jeremiah. No matter how bad life beats you down you pick yourself up and you keep going and you keep going and you stay faithful and you stay faithful because it's not about the American dream it's about your faithfulness to God and God can do incredible things through people whose story involves adversity testimony of what God can do in your life is much more valuable when you have adversity in your life because people need to see that there is a God who can pull you out. So uh, I'm reading this book about, about um, uh, George Washington and uh, it's about a 900 page book. 
I bought it on Kindle, didn't know it was a 900-page book. I probably wouldn't have bought it. Uh, but I'm on like page 380 right now. Uh, he's in his mid-40s. It starts when he's in his late teens. I'm still waiting for things to get good for him. Like I keep expecting with the next chapter, and here's where things turn for the better. But he was hit again and again and again. Failure after failure, hardship after hardship. You know he had horrible hemorrhoids? <laughs> Think about this. A general in a war on a horse with horrible hemorrhoids. And that was like one of the, one of the better things. Like he, 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 he never got shot in battle, which that's, that's a perk. But other than that, it's pretty much all bad for the first at least half of his attempts at leadership. But his is a story of perseverance and faithfulness and getting back up again and again and again. And that's what God calls us to. It's really important. Let me close with this. Jesus doesn't call us to a membership. He calls us to a movement. And there's a big difference between a membership and a movement. Membership implies perks. You join a member, you know, you join a, a membership of a club because you want the thing that they have because somehow it's going to make your life better. A movement, on the other hand, that's hard work. A cause. There's, there's sacrifice there. <clears throat> I don't think Jesus ever said, and, and I struggle with this, I, I really do. As, as a church in America, uh, you struggle with finding that balance of the consumer versus the cause. Uh, the membership versus the movement. So I, I, I can't picture Jesus saying, hey, first-time listeners want to welcome you, go see Peter and Matthew and get a coffee cup and, and uh, check the web for my miracles. Uh, I'm walking on water this Thursday. We'll have games for the kids. Jesus would look at people and say, oh, you're a first-timer? Okay, sell everything to the poor and then come follow me. Oh, you're a first-timer? Well, I'm homeless. You ready to be homeless so that we can advance the gospel around the world? He'd look at a huge crowd and say, hey, take up your crosses, crush your dreams, set aside everything that you have as important, it's a distant second now, and follow me. That's the language of a movement, and nothing in there implies the American dream. And it's a struggle, because I have nice things, and I like nice things, and ultimately I want nice things. Um, but during those difficult times, we need to remember from Jeremiah that God never promised us the American dream. And God doesn't desire that for you. I don't think he's necessarily against it. He could be. But his goal for your life is not to get you those things. His goal is to make you a faithful servant and to use you to do things you'd never dreamed of. All right, I'm going to leave it at that. I want to encourage you to read Jeremiah. 
force yourself through it so that when you face those empty wells, uh, you can remember that faithfulness is what God uh, wants most from you. So would you stand and let's pray. <clears throat> Father, you are God when we're on the mountain, when all is well with the world. But you are also God in the empty well. And I pray for those of us here today who are walking through very difficult times, very dark times. I pray that we would have that spirit of, of Jeremiah that would remain faithful to you no matter what. And I pray that his story would inspire us, that your spirit would recall the words of your scriptures, realizing that even in those dark moments when you seem a mile away, you are not, you are close and show us how we can use the difficult places in our journey to show other people that you are a faithful God and are good no matter what. And thank you most of all, Father, for not being fair. Thank you for stepping into my miserable, sin-stained world and unfairly crucifying your innocent son in my place so that I can walk with you blameless. And I pray that those sins of our past would be washed away in our minds just like they were washed away at the cross and not hinder us from anything. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a good week.